Today, we're, we're beginning a new series of sermons in the Gospel of Mark. I'm excited about going back to a gospel. I haven't preached in the gospels lately. And so I'll be preaching one sermon, basically one sermon out of the 16 chapters in Mark. And of course, we're beginning today with chapter one. Now, Mark, or or John Mark, as the Bible calls him, grew up in Jerusalem. And his mom was a very godly lady who had some very strong influences over his life. In fact, she would open up her home for the early New Testament church. So this young man had the distinct privilege of rubbing shoulders with some of the heroes of the early Christian faith. Mark eventually teamed up with Paul and Barnabas and joined them on the first missionary journey. And things were going great. Uh, Until it got to a point where many people believed that he got homesick. And and he bolted from uh, Paul and Barnabas and, and made his way back home to Jerusalem. Well, Paul and Barnabas continued their trip, and it was a very successful, fruitful trip. But after that, uh, they got together, and they were planning a second missionary journey. And Barnabas, who was a cousin of Mark, wanted to take Mark along. Now, you can guess what Paul said, right? Paul said, no way. No way. Paul didn't trust Mark. He was afraid that they would go on the second missionary journey and that Mark would abandon them the way he did the first time. But Barnabas was pretty strong himself, and he said, yeah, we're going to take him. Paul said, no, we're not. And so here's what happened. Barnabas took Mark, and they went on their own missionary journey to Cyprus, to preach the gospel, and Paul got a new teammate, his name was Silas, and they embarked on their second missionary journey. Now, I got to tell you about Mark. He started out poorly, but I'm telling you, he ended up, and he was strong for Jesus, strong for Jesus. That tells you, listen, if you fail in your spiritual life, don't give up. God gives second chances. Isn't that wonderful? And so God raised Mark up and grew him and matured him. And later on, you'll read in some of Paul's letters that he mentions Mark. In fact, in Paul's last letter that he sent to Timothy, he said to Tim, Paul was about to die. He was about to be martyred. And he said to Timothy, hey, Timothy, Come quickly to Rome. I need you. And and, and then Paul said this, and bring Mark with you because he's useful to me. Praise God. Now, many scholars believe that Mark's gospel was derived from a massive amount of time that he had spent with the apostle Peter. In fact, Peter was in Rome and and, and most scholars believe that 
that Mark wrote his gospel in the city of Rome. And so he took all of the preaching and teaching of Peter and the Holy Spirit inspired him and showed him how to put it together in this gospel that we call the gospel of Mark. And he wrote a short, action-packed gospel account for the persecuted believers in Rome who had the misfortune of living under the reign of Emperor Nero a bloodthirsty, corrupt leader, if ever there was one. They were new believers, and they had no reservoir of Christian truth like many of you have in your lives. Think about this. These new believers in Rome had never sung a single verse of Amazing Grace. Never. They had never seen a church building like we have with, with a cross on it. Why, why, to them, the cross was a horrific reminder of what was happening to so many of their brothers and sisters in Christ who were being strung up on crosses and crucified all throughout the Roman Empire. They had never sung a verse of amazing grace. They had never seen a church building. Meeting in homes. So Mark had to start at the beginning. I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark didn't start where Luke started or where Matthew started with the birth of Jesus, did he? There's a sense of urgency about this gospel. And he wanted to start right at the heart of the Christian faith, and that is the gospel. The word gospel was used by the Romans to refer to an epoch-making event, something that would change the world, like when a new emperor would ascend the throne. That's how... Uh, the, the Gentiles use this term gospel. But, but our term gospel, the way we use it, it, refers to good news, right? But it's good news about an epic-making event that would change the entire destiny of the world. Mark wasted little time in getting to the heart of that gospel. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He brings into sharp focus the central figure of the gospel, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus means Savior. It means Yahweh saves. Jesus is the one and only Savior for the entire world. That, that's what Mark was trying to get across to these Believers, these immature believers there in the city of Rome, he wanted them to understand there's only one Savior for the entire world. Whether you're a part of the Roman Empire, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, there's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. Beginning of the gospel of Jesus. And then he calls him Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. 
You do know that, don't you? Christ is a title. It means Messiah. The Jewish Messiah. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then, I love this part, the Son of God. And Mark wanted to underscore the fact that Jesus was more than a man. He was a man, but he was the infinite God-man. He was fully God, and he was fully man at the same time. The key verse of this entire gospel is Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. My soul, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, who would be a servant to the human race, a servant to God the Father, and would offer his body and blood on the cross to reconcile people to God. That's the message of the gospel of Mark. This gospel reminds us that right out of the starting blocks, it reminds us that we can have absolute confidence in Jesus' ability to save and reconcile us to God because of who he is. Hey, I want to drop a thought in your heart today. Because of who Jesus is, Jesus deserves your best. He deserves your best. With this powerful beginning in place, Mark then explained how Jesus was revealed to the Jewish people of the world. And he begins, number one, with the preparation for Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Mark wrote these words, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now actually, it's not just Isaiah the prophet, it's also Malachi the prophet, but because Isaiah was such a big figure, he got top billing and Malachi didn't even get his name mentioned here. Isaiah and Malachi prophesied hundreds of years earlier that before the Messiah Savior was revealed to the world, a herald would go before him to announce his coming. By the way, that's exactly the way it worked in the world at that time for a Roman to a Roman king to arise and come to power and for him to move from one place in the empire to another place in the empire, there would always be a herald who would go before him to announce that the king is coming. And God prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus even made it to this earth that one day a herald would come And that messenger would go before the Messiah 
And he would announce to the world that Messiah is coming. He would prepare the people for Messiah's arrival. In, in verses 4 through 8, look at it. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him. And all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. I, I tell you, I wish we could have seen it. Can you imagine throngs and throngs of people coming out of Jerusalem, coming out of, of Judea, coming out of Galilee, and they're coming to the River Jordan to be baptized by this unusual figure by the name of John the Baptist. Now, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Basically, he was telling people, look, you need to clean your act up. The Messiah's coming. Get your heart clean before God. Put yourself in a position where you can honor him and glorify him. Verse 6, John was clothed with camel's hair. Now, that doesn't mean he wore a camel hair sport coat. That's not what we talk about. It's a, a, a rough, smelly garment. In, in fact, it, it's like, even though John the Baptist was from the priestly lineage, God called him to be a prophet. And he came onto the scene looking more like Elijah than Aaron. And John was clothed with camel's hair and, and wore a leather belt around his face. And his diet, now look at this, his diet was peas and cornbread. No, no, no. His diet was locust and wild honey. That make you hungry? Locust and wild honey. I, I hope he took the legs off of those things. Now, now look, th this unusual figure had been picked out by the sovereign God to be the herald, the messenger, who would go before the Messiah and prepare the people's hearts for his arrival. And they were coming from everywhere. Everywhere. John was the messenger Jesus was the Messiah, and he understood that. Look at verse 7, and he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandal. By the way, that's, that's what the lowest slave in a house would do. When the master would come in, the lowest level slave in the house would get a basin of water, he would untie the thongs, the thong of the, uh, of the sandals of the master, and he would remove the sandals, and he would wash the feet of the master. And you know what John the Baptist is saying? I'm not even worthy to be the lowest level slave 
in the presence of Messiah. Oh, my goodness. Verse 8. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist's baptism symbolized repentance of sin. Paul described it for us in, in Acts chapter 19, verse 4. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. Now that gives us a little insight into his baptism. In other words, he was telling people, look, before you step into the Jordan River to be baptized, you need to make sure your heart's clean. If, if, you're, if you're doing some monkey business here, if you're just playing around with this thing, don't, don't you dare get in this water. This is serious business. Get your heart clean. The Messiah is coming. Now, once they got their heart clean, once they repented of their sin, in their baptism, they were saying, when Messiah comes, I'm going to believe in him. That's what Paul is explaining to us here. It was symbolic of repentance and faith. Jesus, on the other hand, according to verse 8, would baptize his followers with the Holy Spirit. This is the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit that occurs at the moment of salvation. Every person who believes in Jesus is regenerated, who is made into a new person in Christ. And they received the gift of the Holy Spirit who will indwell them for the rest of their earthly life. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're saved here today, if you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, the moment, the split second that you were saved, you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and Jesus gave it to you. What a glorious message this was. The Messiah was on the way. John the Baptist was saying, and he would unleash his gospel upon the human race, and nothing would ever be the same again, ever. It was an epic, epic type of moment. So that's the preparation for Jesus. Now, number two, I want you to see the coronation of Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In those days... Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. It's the coronation of Jesus. Now think about those first three words, in those days. Never before in the history of the human race had there been days like these days that John's referring to. The, the Son, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior had made his arrival. He had not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many this was a time to reveal both him 
and his gospel. And he came from Nazareth in Galilee. Oh, listen. The Jews of Judea viewed Galilee with disdain. Absolute disdain. Galilee was a mixture of Jews, Romans, Greeks, and it was known for its immorality, its ungodliness. In fact, it was unthinkable for a Jew in Jerusalem to consider that the Messiah would ever come out of Nazareth in Galilee. But guess where Jesus came from? Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus, listen, Jesus walked almost 60 miles through rugged terrain to get to where John the Baptist was baptizing. And the Bible says, I love, listen, you can go to uh, Matthew and Luke and you can see an expanded explanation of the baptism. But I'm telling you, everything Mark does is with an economy of words, everything. And so he said he came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, Jesus was a sinless son of God. What did he have to repent about? Nothing. He had never committed a sin. He would never commit a sin. So why did he submit himself to a baptism of repentance? I want to share with you maybe four reasons why Jesus submitted to baptism from the hands of John the Baptist. First, his baptism symbolized his consecration to the will of God. It was Jesus' way of saying, Father, I submit myself to you. I submit myself to your purpose for my life. It's about consecration. And his baptism enabled John to recognize him. In John chapter 1, verse 33 and 34, uh, the, the Lord said to John the Baptist, you'll recognize the Messiah because the Holy Spirit will descend upon him like a dove. The one where you see that happen, that's the Messiah. And his baptism, number three, connected him to the sinners he had come to save. He was identifying with sinners. And his baptism allowed him to be anointed by the Holy Spirit for his ministry. When John baptized the Lord Jesus, he was picturing his coming death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, which was a fulfillment of prophecy. Take your, take your Bible or listen to Isaiah 42, verse 1. Isaiah wrote this hundreds of years before this event. And Isaiah said, behold, notice what God calls him here in Isaiah 42, 1. Behold, my servant. And I'm telling you, this gospel is all about, all about Jesus as the perfect servant of God. Behold, my servant whom I behold, Isaiah 42, 1, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have, look at this. Here's God, God says, I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. And what happened here hundreds of years later, the spirit of God descended out of the heavens as a dove and, and lit upon Jesus 
And John knew instantly, this is the Messiah. This is the long-awaited Messiah. Then God spoke from heaven. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Look at verse 10. He saw the heavens opening. I I looked up that word. This is not some kind of a little slow little opening here. The the word opening there literally means to rip, to tear. it's, It's like this is such an epic moment in human history that God the Father rips apart the heavens and sends the Holy Spirit to Jesus. You know what's interesting here? At the baptism of Jesus, each member of the Trinity was involved in affirming the Messiah and his gospel to the world. You got God the Father, say, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. You've got God the Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove, and you got God the Son being baptized. Listen. Jesus emerged from the baptismal water as the divinely designated, divinely qualified, and divinely proclaimed king who would assume the role of a servant and offer himself as a sacrifice for man's sin. And his gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, would change the whole world. And it has. Jesus deserves your best. He deserves your best. Okay, we've seen his preparation, his coronation. Now I want you to see the authorization of Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Here's a word that you'll see over and over again in, in the gospel of Mark. The word immediately. You'll see it several times in chapter 1. Immediately. Listen, Mark does not give any kind of connection between the events. He just goes from one event to the next event. Mark's gospel is about the actions of Jesus, not necessarily the words of Jesus. Immediately, the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. The very first thing that the Holy Spirit did after Jesus was baptized was to to drive him, to compel him to go into the Judean wilderness for a confrontation with the evil one himself. He, the creator of the world, was there in in one of the most desolate places on the planet, surrounded by wild beasts who would not dare to harm him. The stakes were high. God allowed his son to be tested so that Jesus might demonstrate his absolute power and authority over Satan and the demons of hell. 
John MacArthur stated, I quote, if the new king is to take his rightful throne, he must demonstrate his might and overthrow the usurper. If he is going to conquer the kingdom of sin and free its captives, he must have complete power over evil. If he is to rescue lost people, he must have the prerogative and power to transform them into his righteous servants so that through them he may advance his kingdom truth and power throughout the world. And Satan tried to persuade Jesus to abandon his mission as servant and savior. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. I will tell you, when push came to shove, Jesus won every victory over Satan. He was totally victorious. And then we read that the angels were there ministering to Jesus by providing him some food to nourish and strengthen his body after that 40-day fast. You know, I, I, I read on in, in chapter 1, and I'm going to tell you how important this is, this authorization of Jesus. Later on in this same chapter, Jesus goes to Capernaum, into Galilee. And he meets a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. Look at, look at uh, verse 24 of chapter 1. And this demon-possessed man says, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? And this was a demon speaking out of this man. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him, throwing him into convulsion. The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. Look at this, verse 27. And they were all amazed so that they debated among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. They obey him. That's my king. That's your king if you're a believer. He has power and authority over the amassed demons of hell. And he will never be defeated. I've read the end of the book, folks. Jesus wins. And if you're a believer, you win. All right, we've seen his preparation, his coronation, his authorization. And now I want you to see finally the declaration of Jesus. Look at verse 14 and 15. Now, after John had been taken into custody. Now, if you read the other Gospels, you know that Mark skips some stuff. He, he doesn't tell about the Judean ministry of Jesus right here. I mean, he goes immediately, immediately from Jesus being tempted by the enemy and this confrontation with the powers of darkness, and he goes immediately into Galilee. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee. What, what was he doing, folks? Preaching what? The gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
And so Jesus traveled from town to town, from synagogue to synagogue, and also in the countryside. And Jesus preached the truth of the glorious gospel. This was his first sermon. This is his first sermon right here. And he offered his hearers a place in his eternal kingdom the blessing of total forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, if only they would repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in him. Repent means to change your mind about sin and to be willing to turn from it. Can can I say this? There's no salvation without repentance. None. You must repent and believe. That's Jesus' message here. I, I have that on the authority of Jesus. Repent and believe. The word believe ha- has the idea of moving in the direction of. So, so you turn from your sin and listen, and you move in the direction of. That's what it means to believe. Move in the direction of Jesus. It's not just believing something in your head. It's believing someone in your heart. I've run out of time, but you get home, read Romans 10, 9, and 10. It's believing Jesus in your heart. It's making a commitment to Jesus. It's not just saying that you believe Jesus intellectually. That's not salvation. That's not faith. It's putting yourself in his hand. It's committing your life to him. This was God's decisive moment. It was an epic moment. The prophecies of the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 3 to Malachi chapter 4 spoke of a coming Messiah. Now he had come. Christ had come not only to conquer Satan, but to reconcile sinners to God. The new king had come. To initiate his kingdom. Right now it's a spiritual kingdom. In the future it'll be a millennial kingdom. And beyond the millennial kingdom. It will be an eternal kingdom. The new heaven. And a new earth. Looking back on the events of Jesus life. We now know that Jesus fulfilled his mission. We know that. All we have to do is skip forward in the gospel of Mark. And we can read about Jesus as a servant going to the cross to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. We can read about his glorious resurrection from the dead and his ascension back to heaven. The gospel of this kingdom is a life-changing message that can transform anyone's life. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how deep in it you are. I tell you on the authority of the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of the living God, the gospel of Jesus Christ can set you free. Jesus can forgive every sin that you've ever committed in your entire life. He's got that authority. So I ask you, have you repented of your sin? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you committed your life to him? 
In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to leave your seat, if you haven't, and talk to one of our staff members. And we would love to have the opportunity to take you into a private area and to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. How you can be saved and forgiven because of what the servant did 2,000 years ago. So today we've laid the groundwork for a series of sermons through Mark's fast-paced, action-packed gospel. We've seen the preparation for Jesus, the coronation of Jesus, the authorization of Jesus, and the declaration of Jesus. Many of you, many of you are members of his kingdom. Now I want to tell you, for the rest of your life, let me tell you what your king expects out of you. He expects you to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. He expects you to do exactly what he tells you to do. In fact, here in in chapter 1, Jesus comes to to Galilee, to the Sea of Galilee, and and he, he, he meets four fishermen. Peter and Andrew, James and John. You know what he does? He said, hey, boys, drop your nets, follow me. You're going to be a part of my kingdom ministry. You know what they did? They dropped their nets and they followed Jesus for the rest of their lives. Can I tell you this? If you're a born-again believer, Jesus expects you to do exactly what he tells you to do. So I'm going to ask you a question. If Jesus deserves your best as a believer are you giving him your best are you giving him the best of your time your talent your treasure I'm gonna ask our staff to come unless you and your team come and we're gonna have a time of worship a chance for you to respond to what the Holy Spirit has done with the Word of God in your heart Some of you in this room, some of you watching live stream, some of you in the fellowship hall, some of you watching our television minute, you need to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus. You come to one of our staff members, we'll help you. You call the number on your screen if you're watching TV and we'll help you. You, We'll answer your question, we'll help you with this spiritually important decision. And as a believer, I just ask you to do this. Just search your heart. Ask Jesus, Jesus, is there any area of my life where I'm not giving you my best? And come to this altar and offer it to him as your sacrifice of worship to him today. Father, in the name of Jesus, pour out your spirit. Do a work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship and you come as God.